All right, please do turn in Scripture to 2 Samuel chapter 13. And in the Pew Bible, that black Pew Bible there, it's page 264, I believe. Welcome back to uh, the second half of uh, 2 Samuel. We were delighted to hear from some of our missionaries uh, last Lord's Day. And if you missed that, uh, go back and listen to Colin's sermon. Uh, it was wonderful. Uh, but we're back into our, our study. Uh, we're in the twilight of uh, David, King David's life. And uh, it's, how do I put this? Uh, it has been a bit of a train wreck. Uh, and it will continue to have elements of that. Uh, there is sorrow and there is uh, shrapnel. That's the first word that comes to mind. And uh, chapter 11, just to again orient ourselves and locate it. Chapter 11, what do we see except that David uh, is... Um, David is acting out of his desires in the flesh and not uh, the lordship of Yahweh uh, in his ways. And so he, he, he sees something that is beautiful. He saw the, the verbs are there. Uh, he seduced. He slept with. Then he strategized uh, after he slept with Bathsheba to save face. And then he slayed a man and he stole from that man. And what David did at the end of chapter 11, the, 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 the verbiage there, the word is... Uh, What David did was displeasing to the Lord. There's very little mention in these chapters uh, of God. Fortunately, in chapter 12, we see the mercy of God breaking in, although it doesn't seem like or sound like maybe or feel like to David at that particular time, the mercy of God. But God pursued David uh, because he sent Nathan, the prophet, to confront David with a parable. And we covered this two weeks ago. We, we, you know, you'll, you'll be reminded there's this story that he tells the king, oh, king, there is there's a man. Uh, he, he tells it like it's a, a, a you know, once upon a time story. But, uh, but David takes it up as if it were true. And he is the judge to, to rectify this. A rich man stole a poor man's ewe, his precious lamb. And uh, slaughtered it and, uh, and, and took for himself. And, and David is irate. And, and he has, he has this, this righteous anger and this justice. And as king, he says, this man uh, should surely die. And Nathan, those familiar words, say, looks at him in the eye and says, you, you, David, are the man. How does David respond? Well, he responds in the best possible way, which is surrender. It's yielding. It's. It's repentance. We know that partly because of what's recorded by the writer here, but also because of David's very own words. Psalm 51, if you go and read that, you will see it's, it happened right after uh, these events. And, uh, and he, is, he is transformed and touched by the mercy of God. What about you? What, what about you when you are confronted uh, with your faults, your sins, your uh, <laughs> The, the, the things that bring shame and guilt, and then you're reminded of those things when you're presented with those things. Maybe even for the very first time, light is shown on it. Do you hide? Do you run? Do you cover? Do you try to minimize? Do you try to justify? What do you do? I, I can only come up with a list that quick because I've done all those things. Making excuses, deflecting, blame shifting, or, or do you repent? What is repentance? We just covered that. We know that repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction, not just away from sin and self, but also toward something, toward the living God, to change uh, our, our posture, to change our direction. Uh, all of us to a person have and will continue at times to make a mess. I say make a mess because our sin has an impact on relationships. 
both vertically and horizontally, right? Vertically, our sin disrupts uh, our fellowship with God. Uh, horizontally, it disrupts our fellowship with other people. We, we, we can see this play out in so many ways. We don't love the Lord our God with our whole self or our neighbor as ourself. And those have implications and ramifications. There are consequences. Our conscience is troubled. And when it is, we covered this two weeks ago, and I want to say it again. And I'm not going to wait for the end to talk about Jesus. If that's the case for you, listen to your conscience. Come to Jesus, our Savior. Christ is the Savior of sinner. Come with honesty. Come with humility. Come with surrender. Abandoning all the strategies that you can come up with to save face or to try to clean up your mess and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe even take up the very words of King David in Psalm 51 when he knew these things were true and he needed, he was looking, we are looking back, he was looking forward to a greater son of David who is King Jesus. God's on his throne, but these are some pretty dark chapters. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Uh, I mean, honestly, if I was a topical preacher, which I'm not, uh, you know, if we didn't do expository preaching straight through books of the Bible, this would be a chapter to skip for sure, easily, undoubtedly. And, uh, and you're going you're gonna to find out here in just a second. And, and honestly, uh, this is one of those, um, you know, students who are here, I, I, you know, I, I, I ache for you. Uh, But these are things that are going to be hard to digest. And for you as parents, this is an opportunity. Things that come up in this passage will will likely be an opportunity, I I hope, for conversation and questions, good questions. There's much in these verses to be angry about, but there's even more to grieve about. And there's a difference. For some of you, I even want to say this in advance, and I did, uh, I think, two weeks ago. I, I feel sad because... I know that this portion in rehearsing and reviewing some of these things, you have had to live. I lament that some of you have had to experience the pain of these sins and the consequences like divorce and division and even death. And in, in instances of, of other people, it's not your sin. It was someone else's choices, selfish choices. Some of you have suffered and some of you have people very near and dear to you who have suffered abuse. And so to read a chapter like this is unsettling, to say the least. And I I would love to talk. I'd love to pray with you about these things. I'm praying for you. Uh, We said a number of weeks ago, it was probably last fall we even said it, that King David made choices and some of those involved polygamy. And there is bad things that come downstream of that. So enter stage left, David's children. If you would stand with me one more time in deference to God's word. We are going to cover this whole chapter. I'm going to read the opening 22 verses. Hear this. This is the word of God. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend. If there were quotes, I would put them there. Uh, but Amnon had a quote friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jon- <clears throat> Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, that is Amnon, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, 
I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let the other let there comes to you and say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon laid down, pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his side and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him and refused to eat. And he refused to eat. Amnon sent, send everyone out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes and she, that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them in near to him to eat, he took hold of her and he said to her, come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not to be done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where I where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her and became and being stronger than she. He violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred so that the hatred with which he had hated her was greater than the love which would he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong, this is wrong and sending me away is greater than the wrong you did to me. But he did not listen to her. He called the young woman who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves for thus were, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a, as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, surely uh, we need help. And we do thank you for your scriptures. And we find ourselves troubled and puzzled. But we ask that you right now would reveal truth to us. And you would share and shine light by your spirit. That we might see and yield more to our king, our savior, Jesus. Amen. My first time uh, going to New Orleans uh, was in, I think, 2004, 2005. Uh, a dear friend of mine um, had invited me. He and his wife are going to be moving out of there up to my home state of North, North Carolina. They said, hey, would you be willing, Troy, uh, to come down, help us load up our truck 
Uh, they were leaving a particular ministry, an inner city ministry they were serving, and they had to load up all their stuff, and they needed to drive their cars, and I drove the U-Haul. And, uh, and while I was down there, I, I had got, got to go out to a nice restaurant and tour the streets. I went on a long run that morning and got to see all firsthand some of the, you know, the, 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 you know, the hubbub of you know, what is New Orleans. A few months later, this giant storm, you know which storm I'm referring to in 2005, Katrina comes and hits Category 5, one of the deadliest ever in American history, and certainly uh, the costliest. hundred They estimate the damage from that storm involved $125 billion worth of damage. And that was probably upwards of maybe 2,000 people uh, were killed because of the storm. Well, uh, a few months after the storm, another friend of mine moved into New Orleans, also a pastor, and, uh, and he was pastoring a Presbyterian church there. Much of his early work was just coordinating short-term missions teams to help uh, mobilize volunteers to help with homes and people's lives just turned upside down. And, uh, and he's been preaching the gospel there ever since. But in those early days, he would tell you and other leaders in the community would tell you that there were sure many people that came down to New Orleans in the wake and the aftermath of all the flooding and the, the damage of, of winds. But... You know, some of them, not all of them, uh, but there were some that didn't come to volunteer. And there were some that didn't come to recollect what belongings they had. And there were some that didn't come to volunteer and, and help uh, clean up or provide, uh, you know, rebuilding. Uh, there were just some that came. And there were some that came to loot and steal things. But there were others that just came to just sightsee. Why do I bring that up? Except when you're, and then the, the, the chapter continues on. When we read an account like this, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I, I know there are times that we have almost a, a twisted, almost morbid sense of curiosity about the misery of other people. We can oftentimes be fascinated with the dark things, even these schemes that Amnon was plotting. And then we actually miss the sorrow and the shock that we should feel for Tamar and her ruin. There's two kind of overarching themes here, takeaways maybe. The opening 22 verses are the dark deeds to abhor, and I listed these in the order of service. And then the second, which I'll read for us here in a moment, uh, the following chapters 23 through the end of the chapter, and that would be the poor responses to avoid. The dark deeds to abhor here, yes, it, it, we read it all correctly. These are disgusting and disturbing events and sins behind them. Amnon develops a perverse crush on Tamar, his half-sister, his stepsister. Young parents, those of you who might have more children, here's a name not to name your kids. Jonadab. Okay, I know it was high on your list, but... You know, maybe, you know, people are going for unique names nowadays. This is not one of those good, unique names. It is a biblical name, not a good name, not a friend. In verse three, we we see him described as crafty. It's actually a positive word to be described in Scripture as shrewd. It means that you're wise and discerning. It's not an inherently bad thing. But the way he used his uh, his craftiness is a reflection of his character. He was deceptive. He encouraged Amnon to do the same. What did he say? He said, listen, just pretend to be sick. Here's this great plan. He appeals to uh, compassion. He says, uh, Father, I need uh, a baker. I need 
nourishment. I need a nurse to come in and help me send my sister in. She's skilled and, and, uh, and able to do this. But he's not ill. We clearly know that because he has the strength and he has the energy to overpower her and to violate her. See that in verse 14. And then we see the writer's viewpoint, the narrator for us here. It, it, it comes to us through these pleas from Tamar. In verse 12 and verse 13, stop. She's saying, stop, turn around, reconsider this. The cost is going to be horrible for me, for you. This is not what the people of God do. And rape, of course, is, and it's, it's, it's her words, right? You know, she's the one who describes this as a godless, evil, outrageous thing. This is what pagans do. Please, no. And rape is shameful enough. But incest is explicitly also forbidden in the covenant law of God. We didn't need to. We didn't have a hunch. We didn't need to be, uh, you know, decide this as a civilization. It is written on our hearts, the law of God. What do we hear and know and experience except that Leviticus 18 and Deuteronomy 17, this is forbidden. Amnon is driven not not by love. Amnon is driven by, by lust. Which is not a longing or a desire for, for people, but a desire for selfish pleasure. This is evidenced by the fact that he rapes her. And then afterwards, he treats her so objectively with contempt. It's, it's in verse 15. Let's go back and, and look at the text. As sad as it is to read, then Amnon hated her, verse 15, with the very hatred. So that, when he, that, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved her. It, 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 there's only two words next. Excuse me, there's, there's two, two words in the Hebrew. It's three or four in the English translation. Get up and get out. T- Tamar protests, verse 16, but kicking her out, he, she's saying, is even a greater wrong. But Amnon doesn't have the ears to hear, and he certainly doesn't have a heart to care for her. In fact, it's, as a true abuser of people, he despises her. He develops a, almost like in, even, even in that passage when he wants her away and he hates her, as if she has some responsibility in this. As if she holds, and, and some of the blame is, is on her. It's, it's a horrible situation to contemplate. But lust and hatred often pair together. Think about that. Strange as it sounds, lust and hatred. Then verse verse 17, look again at the text. He called the young woman to serve him. Put this woman out of my presence. Lock the door. He throws Tamar out like an empty carton of cigarettes. He's burned them all up. What's the point of hanging on to this? People find out. People should find out. People did find out. And Tamar is, is ruined. She's grieving the loss of her innocence, her virginity, her purity. That was bad then. It's bad now. And what does our culture say? What is our society? How do, we, how do we relate and think and talk? And Well, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? We, we, we talked about this last summer when we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes together. There's nothing new under the sun. 
But there are things here to behold and to abhor. I want to say something. It troubles me because I, I, I'm called to raise children, to raise young people, students, teenagers in this same society and culture. A culture that treats women as objects and it treats the law of God like it's a joke. And even trying to search for the words of how this intersects with our culture and our moment, Dale Ralph Davis, you know, my favorite commentator, puts it better than I could. Amnon, the spirit of Amnon here into our day. Amnon has multiplied himself thousands of times in our contemporary music, videos, rap music, where we meet such remarkable, remarkably one-dimensional characters ruled entirely by their all-powerful genitalia. Such media glamorizes the hard, bitter, sadistic sex they promote, but also expose it for those who have eyes to see it. But teenagers and sixth graders seldom do. Now, I will add to that. It is not one realm of media. It is not one genre or one generation that struggles and promotes. I I mean, just this past week, I don't know how many commercials I saw for some weird reason of, of the Golden Bachelor. It's it, it's you only laugh at this stuff to keep from crying. It's so bad. And you know me, I'm not typically up here trying to call out people and names and shows and all that stuff. I know that you're discerning people. There's just too many shows that reveal that we want the gifts, but we don't want the gift giver or his wisdom on how to handle those things to his praise and glory. For our joy and his glory, I lament the fact that we... We lack the moral discernment at times, the sorrow for how relationships and the gifts of intimacy are trivialized and trashed. We need a righteous indignation sometimes. And we need real love for other people that's rooted in the love of Jesus and his example. And is there anger in this passage? Yeah, there is. And if you look at verse 21, I already read it. Look again with me. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But I'm about to read the rest of the chapter and I have nothing but bad news. David was angry, but he didn't say anything and he didn't do anything. And that's horrible. Which leads to my next point, the next the half of the chapter, because tragically we see unfolding not only the sins now of, of Amnon, but the sins of his father David are now being repeated by his children, except they're not just repeated, now they're exaggerated. Lust and deception and violence and even murder. It's coming back with interest. David's sins are being repeated by his family. So let's Uh, Look again at our text. Thanks for bearing with me. Verse 23. After two years, Absalom had sheep shears 
at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servants. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we, burden, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, Well, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why shouldn't he go with you? But Absalom pressed until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him, do not fear. For I have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his horse and fled. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left, which wasn't true. Verse 31, then the king arose, tore his garments, lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, let not my lord suppose that they have all killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister, Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead. For Amnon alone is dead. Okay, now David, of course, probably in some measure is relieved, but sad. But Absalom fled and the young man who kept watch lifted his eyes and looked and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him. By the side of the mountain and Jonadab said to the king, behold, the king's sons have come as your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voices and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to went to Talmai, the son of of Amahud, the king of Jeshur, and David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Jeshur and was there for three years. And the spirit of the Lord longed to go out to Absalom because, the spirit of the king, excuse me, longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Now, most biblical wise teachers would say it's a mistake to focus in uh, an interpretation on the, uh, the events of the details and the example of people. Because scripture is ultimately not about uh, the stories and illustrations of, of characters of old and new. It's, it's about God, God's words and God's deeds. Here's the problem. God's not mentioned in this chapter. It, it's, it, it's, it's like some of the other dark places that we find ourselves here. I think the cast of these four men, the writer here, wants us actually to see their deficiencies. He actually wants us to see that these are men of virtue, but when that virtue is not wed and paired with godliness, it's a disaster. It's a problem. It doesn't work out, right? Some would argue that that's true of all virtues, right? Even if you're a loving person, it has to be coupled with something, and that something would be wise to be holiness, so let's just rewind, right? What do, we see in, what do we see in King David? We see a man who has a righteous anger, a virtuous thing, but it's lacking something. 
the justice to act upon that. I remember a few years back, Crossway published a book uh, by a couple, Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. And we, we, we read it together. I, I would not have read this book by myself naturally. I would not have picked it up as a title. Okay, But I'm so glad I read this book. And I want to commend it to you. Crossway published it. It's called Rid of My Disgrace. Rid of My Disgrace, Hope and Healing for Victims of Sexual Assault. And myself and other pastors in just discussing and, and reading through this, it, it was eye-opening. It was heart-wrenching. It was gut-wrenching. It was, it was painful. They also, this, this, this same couple, the Holcombs, uh, also through, I think, Crossway or another publisher, have uh, wonderful books that would help you. to Even, even for some of you who have young children at a, at a stage where they need to talk about some of these things, there are some great books and resources that I would recommend. But the title of that book, Rid of My Disgrace, Justin Holcomb wrote it because he was using the very words of verse 13 in Tamar's story. When she asked this plea, where could I get rid of my disgrace if this were to happen? Holcomb writes, David should have reached out to Tamar and protected her. Even if he was only to to offer a gesture of articulating that that anger for her, that she had been wronged. When victims are abused and shamed, often the response or lack thereof, from family and friends, continues to pile on the shame. Those who should have been supportive have taken taken her side did not, namely David here. They minimized what that happened, showing that they all did not understand the depth of Tamar's pain. 2 Samuel 13, Holcomb writes, describes well the destruction wrought by sexual assault, which includes the violation and its effects, the sins against Tamar and its consequences. An important question asked by assault victims is echoed in verse 13. Again, where where am I to do with this? Where am I to take my disgrace and shame? Her question is left unanswered. At least in the text, Absalom, her brother, responds, by saying, keep quiet so that he can wait for two years to uh, you know, enact his plan of hatred and uh, revenge. But David was angry, but he ignored her disgrace. He is a man with anger, but not justice here. Amnon should have been punished. Tamar should have been ex- exonerated. And unfortunately now, Absalom is, is in essence handed a plausible excuse for how he's going to enact this murder, murderous revenge. We don't know why. We don't know why David didn't act. Maybe it's because of the guilt or the shame of his own choices in the past. And then we look at other characters here. We've already dealt with Amnon. We know that he is a man who has passion, but he has a passion without love, a person that might even be more like us than we'd like to admit at times. We have desires And sometimes they are passionate desires. And when they get exalted to the place of demands, then we start acting like God or ignoring God. (laughs) Then the last two characters here. Again, you know, this is with the help of Dale Ralph Davis. We see Jonadab and Absalom. uh, Excuse me. uh, We see Jonadab and, yes, Absalom. We see with Jonadab a man of wisdom, but it's not paired with another virtue, which is discernment, principle. 
he doesn't have principles. David's nephew knows all the angles. He, he's like a slimy politician. He knows exactly, uh, you know, how to get things done. And in verses 32 and 35, when everybody in the king's, you know, uh, palace is, is freaking out because word of report of all the sons of the king are dead, he's the cool, he's the cool-headed one. It's okay. It's only Amnon who's dead. And he's taking care of the business that needed to be done. Your master. Jonadab is dangerous because he has skill without conscience. He has insight but no integrity. Think about that. Swiss reformer John Calvin puts it so well. Therefore, when we see that the spirit of God stated here as a reproach that Jonadab was a prudent man and that he also and that he so forgot had forgotten himself to be a pimp for his male cousin, a disgrace to his female cousin and to be disloyal to his uncle, the king. It all warns us to pray that if God has given us some prudence, he would also we should pray, give us integrity and sincerity so that we may keep ourselves from this type of craftiness. Now, you, you, we all have gifts, abilities, and talents, and we ought to be good stewards and managers of that. But it's so sad to think of how we can twist those things. Lord, have mercy. Last, we, of course, see Absalom. Absalom is a man who has also hatred and anger, but without something, and that is restraint. No, he wasn't hasty. Yes, he was strategic. Yes, he was, what he, you know... He keeps his rage and hostility even concealed. Impressive. I can't do that. His hatred was sophisticated. He hatches a whole plan that he thinks will satisfy his own wrath and anger. And of course, it doesn't. And the murder that he commits does not restore his sister. Doesn't rid her of her disgrace. Uh, these are all separate depictions in this narrative in chapter 13. And they're just pointing to a bigger picture that no one is righteous right now in Israel. But when we consider the temptations, the dispositions, the deceptions of other people, we would be foolish to stand off in pride and say, man, those people were messed up. Like some type of you know, dark, you know, Netflix documentary of some crime family. Listen, the, the seeds of this, the, the, the thoughts, the, the desires, there is much for us to be soberly reminded about with regard to these things. We should be wise to consider how without God's restraining grace, we were a train wreck or becoming one or could become one because of our desires. Paul writes this so well. He, he captures this in Titus chapter 3 when he talks about our old self. For those of you who are Christians, for those of you who have repented and believed, we're a new creation. Well, we're becoming one. We are, and we're still becoming one. But there was a time that it was worse for us, if we're honest, and we still struggle. Here it is, Titus 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. Disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, uh, hatred by others, and hating one another. Boy, we need some hope around here. And don't you love it when the Bible says, but, verse 4, 
when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, Paul writes, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Folks, there's no hope of escape from sin and the eternal consequences except under and through and with the goodness and the loving kindness of the Savior. And I'll just close with this. It's, a, it's another quote from uh, Justin Holcomb's book. However, there was one, when we think of the, the, the ruin of Tamar's circumstance, and may we not gloss over it, may we, may we press in on it, even in our conversations uh, this week, as we want to understand and apply God's word. Hear this. However, there was one who came later and entered into Tamar's pain and shame. Jesus Christ was killed, not, not for revenge, but to bear her shame on the cross and to offer her a new robe of righteousness to replace her torn robes of disgrace. How Tamar felt after the assault described in verse 19 is shockingly similar to what Jesus experienced leading up to and during his crucifixion. Jesus entered her pain and shame as Tamar's substitute to remove the stain of sins committed against her. And Jesus, my friends, rose from the dead to bring her and you and you and you healing and hope. Pray with me, please. Lord Almighty, would you please send us your spirit that we might know the unique uh, counsel and comfort, guidance and good news that we need. Thank you, Father, for sending that comfort that points us not, not just to truth, but also to the hope of the cross. Lord, I pray you'd help people this very day, even in hearing these things, are, are troubled and, and deeply uh, feel pain and trauma because of abuse. I, I pray that you would restrain evil in our country, in our communities and homes. I pray that you bring healing and hope to people who feel like Tamar. Give us the eyes to see people who are hurting, to show compassion. I pray that you would restrain in us evil thoughts and words and deeds. Would you forgive us the sins of our passion, the sins of apathy? Help us to know how to respond with compassion and conviction, with clarity. Lord, I pray for parents, Lord, if the imperfect guides that we are, would you please help us to guide a generation who are loaded on with confusion and temptation? I pray that you would stir in our community a deep hunger for the hearing and the reading of God's word. I pray that you'd raise up more churches and more laborers. Lord, I, I pray with thanks today for one of those sister congregations for Calvary Baptist and Hanson. Thank you for their ministry. Bless their kingdom labors. Grant to them unity. Lord, there's many people that face fear because of violence and sorrow and destruction in our country, please, and in other parts of the world. Please have mercy, Lord, and comfort them. For those who are this morning feeling the weight of their own sin and shame and the consequences of walking in those, Lord, I pray that you'd be with them in their suffering. Would you please remind them and us 
that people who are suffering because of the consequences of sin are still suffering and have mercy. Teach us to love and forgive in Christ's name. Praying together, even as Christ Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying together,